Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Live television shows used to be the best way to actually see the music you'd hear on your favorite records. If bands didn't come to your town, shows like Midnight Special or appearances on talk shows and variety programs were the next best thing. This was before the internet, even before MTV. Today, we can find countless clips from these shows online. And for this episode, we use them to trace the evolution of Billy Joel's career. To start, we dug back to his earliest television performance in 1973. Then we went up through Billy's appearance on Saturday Night Live in 1978, just after the breakout release of The Stranger a few months prior. In just these few years, you can hear and see his style, fashion, and stage presence evolve. Each video adds new dimensions to his early albums before he became much more documented. Join us as we dive deep into the handful of early television appearances in Billy Joel's growing career. Your next number is from your new album, Turnstiles. Which one is it? Uh, New York State of Mind. It's for New York City. New York gets dumped on a lot. So they get it That's right. Not too many people say nice things about New York. It's the most exciting city in the world. We can do a little New York State of Mind. Here is Billy Joel. Okay. We kind of talk about it a lot, like, oh, check this out on YouTube. We should see this on YouTube. And, you know, it's been, what, 15 years now we've had YouTube? It's like the Library of Congress for this stuff, man. I remember when YouTube first came out, uh, I just randomly, I was like, I don't know what to look up first. And I looked up, like, Elvis Costello videos that I'd never seen before. So it's like oh, the yeah? first thing that came <laughs> to mind in, like, 05. All of a sudden, all this stuff that was lost is all out there for us to see again. Mike Stutz puts out a lot of it on his uh, Piano Lover channel. And looking at his stuff from the 70s, you really get to piece together what his career looked like before The Stranger and as The Stranger broke. Uh, So you see him try out different styles. You see him try out different arrangements, different players, everything. You also get this great time capsule of what doesn't exist anymore. Remember these shows? Like, I mean, you know, Midnight Special and Old Grey Whistle Test, they weren't on, but they used to have these concert shows where they would just, like, get some concert footage and throw it at you. Remember that one on Friday nights? It was, like, 11, 12 o'clock at night, so I I rarely got to see it. Uh, But, like, the Stones were on one time, and I, you know, set my VCR to tape it and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, now with YouTube, it's like, there's not even a point in watching people go on The Tonight Show anymore because you're just going to watch it online anyhow. But, uh, you know, just bearing in mind, back in the 70s and stuff, you didn't know what these people looked like. You didn't know what they looked like live. You had to go to the concert. This footage wasn't out there. Bands weren't as widely filmed then. There Mm -hmm. were no music videos. This was the real early way that most people were able to finally see what these guys looked like and get a taste of what a live show was like. And it's fun because, you know, a lot of times they had to have a different uh, arrangement from what was on the record, depending on what players they had on the road, stuff like that. If you watch like very early Saturday Night Live, there was a version of uh, like the boxer that was just Paul Simon acoustic. There was something with uh, Paul Simon and George Harrison, I think, doing something, you know, like these versions you would never hear anywhere else. Even as we see just going through 78, you know, how Billy's stuff streamlined once he was getting big. Yeah, you you definitely see that, how that evolved and how things got more polished as it went along, for sure. 
for the most part, we got some good dates on these. A couple of them are a little nebulous, but we've done our best to put everything in order. I'm hoping we have to do a part two because we unearthed like a whole bunch of other ones that we didn't find here. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, we definitely got the 80s for sure. Yeah, yeah, Next absolutely. Year, so. yeah. And, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll dig further into the 80s and 90s and beyond as, as we go along as well. But uh, we thought it'd be fun to start the early documented part of his uh, solo career. So we're starting here in the, the early 70s. And the, the first one we're able to find is... Is, uh, from the BBC Two, uh, 1973. The mustache videos. Yeah. The hell is that thing, man? I know. It just looks so weird on him. <laughs> it's Billy as you know him in the early 70s with poofed out hair. He's got a, what would they call it? What Ned Fl- He's got like a Ned Flanders mustache almost going on. There, there. you go. Yeah, yeah, that's the best. So many Simpsons references from us, but you know, that, <laughs> that kind of ages us for sure. Yeah. But but if you know Ned Flanders, you get it. Yeah, he's got the old push broom mustache. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Oakley Doakley. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's funny you say that because this clip opens, he gives this weird face. You know what that face reminds me of? That googie face he makes? Um, yeah. Do you remember in, uh, and there's no way this is connected, but do you remember in the, in Ghostbusters when Bill Murray says, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver is in the station and he goes, Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. Okay. And then he makes that duh face. That's yeah. like the same facial expression. That is funny. That's you're right on there. My takeaway from that expression, you could already tell how like ridiculous he thought it all was. He's already just like not taking it seriously. That he was just trying to either loosen up or thought it was kind of ridiculous, everything that was going on. You know, like, why are these cameras pointing at me? I'm going to make an awkward, funny face. I, you got to figure it's probably one of the first times he's actually on TV, right? I mean, 73, they're not, they didn't put him on TV for Cold Spring Yeah, Harbor. yeah, that's a good point. I would venture to say yes. I mean, we haven't found anything prior to that. And I would think it would have surfaced by now if there was something from back then. But yeah, this may be it. So much is prototypical. You know, he's got the suit. It's not a very good suit. It's just black, and it's just there. It's It looks like it's a little ill-fitting. I bet you he hasn't got that much money yet, and it's off the shelf or something. Yeah. You know, in these early 70s videos, it's really noticeable because, you know, whatever whoever he had in his backing band is decked out 70s style. Everybody else has got the bell bottoms and the paisley shirts and the long yeah. hair. And in this one, he looks like an undertaker. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Big difference between the band and him at that time. And, you know, it's between that and that, like, kind of BBC, looks like video to television, really saturated, yes. fluid movement sort of uh, thing. It, you know, really just brings that out. He looks a little like yeah. play. And the, and the version of this, too, he's got the piano man voice. He doesn't have, like, the Billy Joel voice that we're really used to yet. But it starts coming through. The end of the first chorus, you hear Billy Joel's quote-unquote real yeah. voice. After probably will be for life, he throws some grit on that line. And after that, it's breaking just out. Just a little bit, bit. You know, yeah. That real York kind of thing. I mean, obviously he spoke like that, as we'll see in, in interviews yeah. and things. The first two, three records, he was still yeah. finding the Billy Joel. And it's yeah. certainly clear here in this Piano Man performance. I, yeah, I wrote too that it was uh, very similar to the album version. You know, it was pretty close. And especially since this was not mm-hmm. long after, right around when Piano Man came out, you know, his voice was still right there. The amount of players he had on stage, he had an accordion player. We haven't seen any other instances really of an accordion on stage 
at least in the 70s, at least pre-Stranger. Yeah, it was like then and then not point. until Stormfront after that. I mean, I'm sure like David Rosenfall was doing synth pads and For stuff. For sure. I'm not super versed with what his players look, looked like back then, so I couldn't pick out specific guys necessarily on stage and mm-hmm. tell you who's who, but I feel like it was the same guys who played on the record. If you look at a couple other videos from that time, you, you notice a couple of the familiar faces yeah. there. Whether that was his live band or guys from yeah. the studio, too. I'm surprised they all went to England. You know, this is BBC. Yeah. I'm surprised they put them all on a plane, to be honest with you. I, I always feel like American acts hit bigger there first. So I wonder if he was getting some traction from Piano Man over there. Well, we know, like, for instance, Springsteen didn't go over until Born to Run came yeah. out. But, it, you know, by then it was, you know, it was always, pretty much always the E Street band, at least from his second mm-hmm. album. Billy Joe, you know, he if he had session players... I I mean, I guess, I don't yeah. know if he was on tour over there. We don't have a gauge on whether or not he played yeah, any Yeah, I'm shows. not sure. And I don't think he did. But if he didn't play any shows and he just went over to do, or maybe they recorded it. In America? In, in, in yeah, the maybe. States, yeah. That, that's a possibility, too. I'm just surprised because I know, like, even, like, when, when, like, Motown singers used to go over, they didn't always send the band or they would send the B-string over Yeah, that was common. Like that. Yeah, and, like, even, you know, when we get into the 80s and 90s, you'll see clips of Billy Joel and other artists on, like, you know, Letterman and Paul Schaefer and his band are backing them up. It's maybe them and one person going on. Yeah, like. yeah, that would certainly happen. Yeah. Yeah, budgetary scheduling and there's a lot involved. Now, we have um, Billy Joel on Don Kirshner's rock concert in 1974. We found three clips online. There's not a lot of documentation on this. We can't find the date it aired or the date he played it. In fact, the only reason we actually know these are all from the same concert or the same taping is because he's wearing this odd, odd sweater um, that looks to be a Billy Joel sweater. And if you look at a couple of the clips, you could see it says like Billy the Kid on the side. And Michael, you were saying why well, it might have like his face on the front of it. If you look at the the clip, especially of Captain Jack, you get some more uh-huh. close ups of Billy's sweater from the front. It looks like strange like figures, like stick figures or what, but it's it looks like a person <laughs> or something. You know, and the only like I said, the only way you can tell these three clips are together is because of this. So like one just says rare somewhere along the line live. The other one is by request Captain Jack. And then there's Billy Joel on Don Kirshner's rock concert. This is all on YouTube. And the one that just says Don Kirshner's rock concert is Piano Man. And that's the clearest one. The other two are like weird bootlegs weird transfers or something they look like they were taped off tv somehow in the 70s like somebody had like the first vcr in existence yeah yeah <laughs> oh you know what they used to do that's how they used to do it in the 50s if you watch like reruns of very early television shows and they look like absolute crap yeah that's not how they look they would actually put like this prototype of a video camera up to a screen and document them that way because they were all live and so what you're seeing is actually like the old like you bet your life and stuff like that yeah with it's a bad transfer it's because it's literally a video camera or a film camera capturing on a screen a tv screen a little piece of trivia for you yeah you know we talk about how after street life serenade like right after like literally on that tour he's trying to get a new york band together because doug's on that tour yep. and in fact that's how we know that these shows are pre-street life is because doug's not on stage correct got a real 70s looking band and you know earlier when we were saying that this is another prime example billy's not even looking like billy he doesn't even have his suit on but everyone else is just like damn dirty hippie off the streets of San Francisco it looks like <laughs> yeah hate Ashbury the band is just like yeah it has totally that 70s look and you know the gear it all looks like a 70s band you know 
I'm looking at the uh, mm-hmm. the drum kit. There's no front head on it. And that was another way I kind of was able to place that these are all the same show is the gear the band was using, the clothes they were wearing, and the placement of everyone. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is actually all the same show. Just like you said, these random different uploaded clips. You know, the drummer's got such a, a smaller set. Like on that Piano Man on BBC, that almost looked like Liberty's set. Like it had like a whole bunch of toms up front. Yeah. They didn't have heads on. They were small. They were like, uh, they looked like shallow toms. They weren't very deep. Yep. And it looked like, you know, one of Liberty's sets when he first started. Like the turnstiles um, but the, era, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This set looks like a, a five-piece. Yep. And the bass player kind of looks like he's almost reading. He might have notes on the floor Maybe, or yeah, that's possible. That's possible. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not very engaged. He's looking down, which is, you know, maybe that's just what he's doing, but that's the impression I got looking at it. So Don Kirshner's rock concert was one of many music late night shows that ended up on network TV in the early 70s. This was the first era where you were starting to get uh, music and bands on TV. A lot of it was late night. You had yeah, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. You had Midnight Special with, what was it, Wolfman Jack. It's funny, you know, Billy appeared on a, a lot of these shows in the 70s as we're talking about here, mm-hmm. but he would later go on to lampoon these very shows and how ridiculous a lot of it was. Well, when did he do that? A couple of Q&As where people oh, would okay. talk, ask him about <laughs> the 70s and he would uh he would kind of go into a little bit of a rant about it and i remember he would do like a wolfman jack impression and he would just talk about <laughs> how just how ridiculous it was anybody here old enough to remember when a stupid show called midnight special with wolfman jack this idiot this jockey who some tv schnook thought with the kids are gonna love this guy wolfman jack we'll put him on tv and the kids will eat it up and it'll be great and that'll be a hit and we'll put rock bands on the tv there this is this is pre-mtv so i'm watching the midnight special and i'm seeing band after band come on it was like an assembly line yeah, um, I mean, you, you know, at least these guys are live. You know, everyone from the Stones to Frank Zappa complained about when they used to have to lip sync. Oh, yeah. There's like a clip of the Rolling Stones where Charlie watches straight up plays a fill that you don't hear. Like He's so obviously on the record. Yeah, there's clips. When we get into the 80s, you'll see there's a, I think it's in France, TV appearances for Glass Houses where they're playing along oh, to the, yeah. the record. And it's just so silly. <laughs> yeah, you think by then people would be hip to it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's I mean, there's, there's one of Blondie doing Dreaming and Debbie Harry's just look looks like strung out yeah. and she's just clearly not singing. And then there's even one of Nirvana where they're purposely just being dopey. Yeah. And there's one band, I don't know if it was the Killers or one of the bands kind of in that time frame who was doing a TV appearance and they were lip syncing. So they all decided to switch instruments. Yeah. So like the drummer became the singer and the singer was playing bass. And so everyone just decided they're like, doesn't matter anyway. So we might as well hop on something different just to be stupid. I like the, the Zappa one was they all went and got props and then they just made a random movement, but just made the random movement for the entire song. Right. Like no matter what oh, was happening. It's so good. <laughs> but, you know, to Billy's credit, you know, all the 70s stuff that we found is live. It's nice that they're all live because we, we get to hear what they what he sounded like all these times. And they're not just like crappy audience bootlegs mm-hmm. that don't sound great. You know, we got a couple good transfers here where you really get that sense of what he sounded like before uh, the Lords came in. Captain Jack won the somewhere along the line. I didn't think too much was notable on it. They were, you know, good versions of it. That was it. 
Piano Man, he starts having some fun with, and it's nice to compare this to just a year before on the BBC, where we said he definitely had other players. In this one, there's a weird mando part, a mandolin part that you don't hear kind of anywhere else. The drummer's back on brushes here. In the BBC one, he wasn't. So it's definitely a more stripped down version of it, but he's playing a lot of extra, there's a lot of extra tinkling on the keys, which sounds nice. It does. But that's a thing that Billy does, I think, more than when he's being compared to Elton and Leon. You know, they don't play as much flourishy stuff when they're singing. Like I've said in like for the CW Post one, that's a Hendrix move to be playing solos and melodies and and singing at the same time. And his hands are just flying and he's singing too. So the next one we've got is also from 1974. And this is Mm -hmm. Billy's appearance on a show called Speakeasy. With Chip Monk. (laughs) So this is covers. We're showing is from August 31st, 1974. Yeah. So this is Billy... And it's him and Dave Mason doing some cover songs. Billy starts out, it's kind of an interview portion where he talks about Mm -hmm. being compared to Elton and being compared to Leon Russell, like the renaissance of the pop piano player. And he kind of goes into doing his impression of both of them and then does a Billy impression to kind of illustrate how all three are different. Right here, uh, Elton John and Leon Russell, they come up a lot. Uh, how will he stand up to Elton John? Um, it's, I, I can't figure out how I can sound like both of them, since they're not alike in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Elton doesn't sound like Leon. And that's, uh, when I see that written out, he's like Elton John, he's like Leon Russell. I gotta say, well, wait a minute, how can I sound, I must be a whiz if I can sound like both of them. Let's hear both. <laughs> what do they sound like, both together? Wanna, well, this is... <laughs> Okay, I'm going to clear this up once and for all. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to do it now. This is To our listening audience, this is the most delicate question of my career. (laughs) Oh, really? I I got a chance to clear it up and I'm going to do it. This is Elton John, okay? And now listen to the style of the playing, too. When are you going to come down? sign up with you okay now that's out now this is leon right <laughs> wait, wait wait this is this is leon russell <laughs> well i'm slipping down to christmas sliding into new year's day Kisses, right? Now, that's pretty much. <laughs> that's amazing. Not trying to make fun of them. They're both great. Not at all, but it encapsulates it perfectly. Okay, and now this is me. I'm going to do a little little piece of Billy Joel for you, right? Baby, all the lights are turned on you. Now you're in the center of the stage. Everything revolves on what you do. Oh, you're in your prime, you've come of age. And you can always have your way somehow Cause everybody loves you now Okay, now that's I love that song. a little too positive what I do. I think it's mostly comes from people who haven't heard me, haven't seen me live, haven't heard the record, mm-hmm. uh, who tend to say, ah, oh, piano, ah, ah, 
piano and Billy right. Joel. Categorical Leon analysis. <laughs> the two first name things. Mm -hmm. Two comes up. Well, that's my real name, Billy Joel. They think I ah, took Billy Joel because Elton John, Leon Russell, that kind of thing. Uh, piano is a relatively newly popularized instrument in rock, and uh, there's a lot of guitarists who don't get compared just because they play guitar, like. John McLaughlin, well, he's kind of like Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan because he plays the guitar. They're in no way alike. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? of course. So I think it's a piano. I think once they hear me, they'll know there's no comparison. Well, I'm certainly glad you cleared that up. Once and for all, that's it. Never do it again. We all know about Billy's rubber voice, and this is the prime, pristine we'll example of, of how he can sound like someone else Billy at the drop Jones. of a Yeah. Oh, and even even change his yeah. piano approach. When he goes into his Elton, like a very mm -hmm. Benny and the Jets kind of thing, that staccato yeah. rhythm, his piano approach even changed Elton. It was amazing how he could just right. go right into it. Yeah, and this comes up later, too, in another interview, but this is the first time we see it happening. He says, people tell me I sound like Elton John, and people tell me I sound like Leon Russell. He goes, but they're so different, man. I must be a real whiz if I sound <laughs> yeah. like both. And then he shows you the difference. Here's another you know, indication of how early this is. He goes, well, this is what I sound like. And he plays Everybody Loves You yeah. Now. It's not exactly a signature song, and as he ends the line, because, you know, sometimes there's like a clip of him in a... Uh, one of the master classes where he's just doing Summer Highland Falls and he just kind of blows through the lines, through the phrasing because he's just singing it to yeah. make a point. He does that here and then he sounds like Bob Dylan. Everybody loves you now. You know, he just does that like yeah. off-the-cuff Dylan yeah. approach to it. Just a little something I picked up on. So he plays Everybody Loves You Now and Chipmunk says, I love that song. So Chipmunk is either stroking him or he really or he did was his hip homework. to it. Yeah. Because I don't... You don't hear about that coming up again until Songs in the Attic. I don't think that was really Yeah, played. most of those songs got buried. There was just a select few who who loved those songs, like we heard on some of those early bootlegs where you know, people were wanting to hear some yeah. of the uh, Cold Spring Harbor stuff. But an interviewer to like actually call out that. And even even those, that was really just uh, up in Northampton, PA. That was in the, in the Lehigh Valley where that one record just happened to yeah. take off. Because you hear Billy on the tape like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize you guys knew these <laughs> yeah. songs. Hold on, the band doesn't know him, right. you know? Uh, yeah, so on this clip, so the two of them um, go into a couple covers. They do uh, Feeling All Right, and then they go into Bring It On Home To Me, which is a Sam Cooke cover. These things are artifacts, just and you don't hear stuff like this. I mean, certainly not on the no. mainstream, you know. Uh, nobody's going to do something like this on The Tonight Show. Everything's so yeah. canned. Well, and the fact that they're doing this joint appearance together, and they're doing cover songs. And yeah. knowing now what we know about Billy, how he's like... I'd rather play covers. I'd rather play someone else's tunes. <laughs> I, did a young Billy love that as much of as an older Billy would have loved it? Especially being on there with Dave Mason. I mean, you know, he was a traffic fan. You know, so Liberty was certainly a traffic oh, yeah. fan. Yeah, Bring It All Home to Me, that was a nice version of it. I liked their version of Feeling yep. All Right. I always liked uh, Joe Cocker's version a little more than Traffic. Same, but, uh, yeah. but this version's kind of in the middle, yep. yeah. Now we come to Midnight Special, which again is another one of those famed early 70s music shows. Um, this one is from 1975. And for me, the most notable thing about this is this is the first film footage that I've seen of Doug Stegmeier on bass. Oh my God, you hear the difference. Woo! It's like, night and day. This is no another... disrespect to, to the guys who played bass with Billy Pryor. I mean, they all did fine, held their own for sure. But mm -hmm. once Doug stepped in, it was just took it to a whole other level. Punch, you hear the punch. 
Like immediately. Immediately. When you watch these videos in order and you go from the BBC to Don Kirshner and then you get to Midnight Special, you hear the difference. There's, I mean, the Doug's tone and the way he played was so punchy and so aggressive. And so not aggressive in like a, I'm playing fast and I'm playing like daring stuff. It's just he was so in command of that downbeat. It was it was unreal. It really, really was. And Doug is about 24 yeah. years old at the time. You know what else about this one I noticed? What's that? How much more applause there is. Yeah. You can tell he's picking up steam now. Audience reaction is really definitely into up. it. You get the feeling that those first ones were, hi, I'm Billy Joel. I'm being introduced to this audience and this audience is sitting politely and, and taking it in. Yeah. Now it's, yay, it's Billy. You know, it's this band I know and he's playing the songs I know kind of feel. It certainly was a big, big difference. On this one, there's two songs. There's Ballad of Billy the Kid and Traveling Prayer. Now, I think, Travel and Prayer came first. Yeah, I think you're right. And what's great about that is, and how prescient was this, it starts with a beautiful close-up of Doug's bass. Yep. Like, it's right on the fingers, man. And, oh, he sounds so good on this. That was incredible. So good. It's a little faster. I like this version more than I like the CW Post version. I want to know who the proto-Richie Kanata was. Yeah, that's a good question. Who was that? And is that why, because we know Billy specifically asked Doug and Doug's brother, who was working with Phil Ramone. For a sax player who played organ. Later. Yeah, I need a sax player who plays organ. Like, who thinks of something that specific? Yeah. But that's that's how we got Richie Kanata. And on this one, which is clearly before he met Richie, you've got this uh, long hair playing saxophone and organ. Yeah. It's like, I think he knew his music well enough to where, you know, maybe it was mostly an economical thing. He knew that like, all right, well, he doesn't need an organ player full time because the music doesn't call for it the whole time. And the right. same with the sax. So, you know, ideally, you got one guy who can do both. He's up on stage the whole show. But I also wonder if Billy happened upon someone that played saxophone and organ and said, oh, perfect. Because, you know, the organ wasn't that prominent on Piano Man or Street Life. It's not like no. he tracked that stuff and was like, now I need it. I wonder if he met a horn player that played organ or vice versa. Because it wasn't even saxophone. Saxophone didn't come in until Turnstile. Yeah, there's, you know, I mean, there's really, any, there's very little yes. horns on the first couple records. It really sounds like they come charging out of the gate with uh, with travel and prayer, and I think that's also spoken to in the uh, in the camera angles because they have a lot of cool close ups. They do a lot of that, like starting on the bass and then zooming out. Yeah, that's usually what they do when they start a show. Like you saw that a lot on Saturday Night Live back in the day too. That's a, yeah. Start tight and then come out wide. Yeah. So then we get Billy the Kid. And you'll notice that our drummer is playing Black Dot Heads. Yeah. So let's chicken to the egg this one. Obviously, those were pretty common in the 70s. Yeah. Um, those kind of drum heads were the ones that played up until, I think, the 90s, right? No, I think he did Black Dot Heads in through the mid-80s. Because I think by the bridge, those might have been gone. Okay. I think he switched to Coded on the bridge. And then Stormfront, he... He used it in a brand new company. There's a company oh, really? called Canasonic. I don't even know if they're still around, but he switched to them for that album. I think he had Coded on the bridge and then all Blackheads, this Canasonic brand. And then some point in the 90s into 2000s is when he moved to Evans. We did this a long time ago with just the, the quick comparison. You know, the kind of drum head you have affects the timbre or the sound of the drums a lot. So a black dot head is a dry sound. Think of it as like 50 ways to leave your lover. And then coated head would be like ginger bacon. Yeah. Like a lot warmer, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But this is the first time, you know, we, we get a real good shot of any of the drums and he's definitely playing black dots. Yeah. I like the way this drummer plays. I really like what he did on this song, to be honest with you. It was just a pleasure to watch too. I thought so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm always going to be a Liberty guy through and through. That's clear. But really tasty stuff. Great player. 
I mean, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. you know, that was another instance, too, where the uh, the brands were wiped off the symbols. Oh, symbols I didn't catch that. Yeah, for TV. Yeah, or they were real old. I don't know, but uh, they didn't look old. They looked they were Or, you shiny. know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm trying to remember, like, early, you know, in the 60s, 70s, did you see the labels? Did you see, you know, did you see the names on the symbols? I don't know. I think further research will be required. I mean, I know we talked about it on uh, Live from Long Island that uh, this, I said the symbols looked nice and you didn't see any of the... Uh, of the branding on it yeah. and you would mention that it was probably because they wiped them because they were video yeah. and you didn't want to see him playing their own brand or anything or so you know if he wasn't sponsored it, you know, the whole thing with endorsements you know it's successful artists will exclusively quote unquote <laughs> use this brand <laughs> but I mean it varies so much you know like okay yeah a live show it'll be this brand but I bet you in the studio it's a mishmash of all sorts of things oh yeah yeah well they'd say that's why Vinny Kaliuta gave up his endorsements yeah, because he was like, I'm using whatever I'm using anyway. This is stupid. I'm not worrying about which ones I take on yeah. a gig anymore. That was a long time ago. Billy the, Billy the Kid, interesting choices on this. Yeah, just in terms of like, yeah, you know, he kind of they kind of like groove through a couple of the stops, for a couple of the hits, things like that. He does a couple of really cool uh, piano fills on this one too. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, it sounds like Doug. It's not just his like. I feel like just his spirit was on Traveling Prayer. Billy the Kid, he's starting to get his real punchy, letting the air in kind of yeah. technique, to kind of style. And, you know, this is only a couple months at that point of him being in the band. What a fit it already was. This leads us into the Mike Douglas show. Disco extravaganza. <laughs> Can I tell you how much I love Russell Jobbers in these two clips? Oh, my gosh. On, on the little <laughs> platform. You know, you don't realize now, but he was like, yeah, he always had like a mischievous look to him a lot of the times because he really looked young too. He looked oh, younger yeah. than everybody else. Yeah. And he's on this platform and he's got this white outfit and he's just bopping his head the whole time. You get the feeling that like the blocking guy didn't know what the hell to do when the front man was on a piano. Right. So I'm like, all right, put the rhythm guitar player on a, on a platform. Put Howie Emerson all the way in the back, even though he's playing the leads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you would have thought for sure it would have, Flip flop. I mean, because like in a lot, like Angry Young Man, there's a lot of the song where Russell doesn't play, and he's just tapping on his guitar, and he's like, "Hey, he looks like along uh, and singing." Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> he was like the two guys on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, the club guys, and they'd be bopping their heads. To- <laughs> and and I'm sorry, was Liberty in the Witness Protection Agency? Did yeah. he inherit the mustache? Speaking of mustache, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> if you haven't seen this clip yet, as colorfully we have described it. Yes. Um, it's also got like that laughing looking like background with like the paisley things coming down and the, the you light, know what the little lighting. things remind me of like Trivial Pursuit. You know the, your little pieces where you put the pie pieces in. I was never good at that game. I'm not gonna remember that well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does. It looks like Trivial <laughs> you Pursuit. You see it? Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. So they do Angry Young Man in New York State of Mind. You know, when you mention the two songs, what strikes me as strange is the mini Moog is there next to Billy. Oh, wait, yeah, he plays Angry it during Young Angry Young Man. And I think in this one, I got the feeling that he wasn't getting the sound he wanted because he kind of like gives a, a frumpy look while he's playing it. Yeah. You, you, know, you had to tune them. Yeah. Um, they could be very off. You know, the way those work, the keyboard was just a trigger. Yep. It all had to do with how you, the intonation that you put in the dial, so to speak. The weather could affect it. Gravity could affect it. They say the uh, the Moogs today, yeah. if you have an old one, sounds completely different than 30 years ago because gravity has had an effect on the components and everything yeah. is different. 
funny. I just got to that point, too. You can totally see it in his face that something's not quite right. Um, I think this is one of the only times, too, you see him with, with his right hand on the Moog and his left hand on the yeah. playing bass keys, playing a lower register on the piano at the same time. It kind of reminds me of the All For Lena video where, I mean, it's not a mini Moog at that point, right. but where he's doing the keyboard solo and he's still doing the chords and his left hand on the grand. So another thing I noticed about this clip, at least the YouTube versions that I was seeing, had VH1 branded on it. And that reminded me that in the 80s and then in the 90s, they would do some reruns of some of these shows. I didn't have cable. I went to college. Every once in a while, I would catch like some VH1 or something. So I had no, uh, I think I'm the better for it. But <laughs> yeah, but for yeah. Sure. Yeah, I didn't know anything about like any of this stuff until I saw like YouTube clips with VH1 on it. At some point um, in time, VH1 and MTV played music videos. Yeah, we promise, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I like about this clip a lot, though? They have a lot of long, wide shots where you see the whole band. And I'm yeah. confident in saying this is the first good footage of this band. It's really good footage. Yeah. You can really pick everybody out. You can really see what's going on. It's, it's nice to have that. Yeah, it's good, clean footage. And, you know, I noticed, too, beginning of Angry Young Man, that shot that became the classic shot of the intro over his left shoulder as he's yeah. as he's playing it. I mean, we would see that shot for decades to come, but that's yeah, like every the time, first time. Yeah, every time he's on like 2020 or something and they start with that song, yeah, they, they do the pullout from there. <laughs> yep. And then with New York State of Mind, uh, the clip of that starts out with Mike Douglas walking up with a copy of the Turnstiles LP in his hand. And then he starts talking about that and like the whole New York thing. And, you know, Billy talks a bit. He like has, goes on the defense a bit about how so many people bag on New York and it gets a bad mm-hmm. rap. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, if New York goes under, where do you think we're going to move? <laughs> yeah, we're going to move out to you. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while he does this back in the day. It's this clip and another one we'll talk about. He starts sounding like an early Al Pacino or like yeah. Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, he's got that like kind of nasal. Yeah. Offhandedness to him. Angry Young Man, just going back to that real quick. It's actually a hair slower than the album, I noticed, because usually they take it up a tick. I noticed um, that too. They're a little choreographed, which I'm going to assume is because they're on a show that looks like uh, Disco Spectacular. But you see Richie and Doug bopping their heads in time. Yeah. Um, yeah, Richie and Doug do it in time. You know, Russ is on his own. <laughs> He's doing his own thing there. Yeah. And those two, a couple times, they just definitely did it in sync. Billy's like clapping along. You watch Liberty and you're like, how the hell was this guy in a wedding band? Right. You know, like, like how can he not be the center of attention? Like, <laughs> you know, usually when you think of wedding drummers, it's like barely audible, way in the background, super two yeah. and four. It's like, <laughs> right, yeah, and he's just like, you know, wailing away back there. Yeah. But back to New York State of Mind. Richie's got some really nice solos on this one. Oh, yeah, he does. He's really shining here, absolutely. I feel like they really, uh, give this a Tony Bennett treatment. Very standardsy. Yep. There's an album, Tony Bennett, Bill Evans album. Came out in the 70s. The, the overall sound of this version of uh, New York State of Mind. This rendition really reminded me a lot of that album. You know, just the way he played it and then just like how warm the production of it was. Because we've heard a couple different versions of this song already. Even like how much they kind of lovingly pissed all over it on CW. Yeah, Post, yeah. Just yep. it up and everything. They play it really straight here. Yeah. Interesting choice to do a, this for one of the two songs though, I thought. Yeah, and you know what? 
they did like the two longest songs on the album. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, because if you think uh, about it, like New York State of Mind wasn't the standard it is now. It was a yeah. new song at the time. Say Goodbye to Hollywood or Miami 2017 were other new songs too that may have made a little more sense for a TV show. But I'm going to make some 110% conjecture here. And I'm okay. going to say that, you know, we know that Angry Young Man at this point was like kind of the showcase song. You could sort of bet on New York State of Mind becoming a standard. It just had kind of standard written all over it. I, I kind of think that's why he went with those two, because Angry Young Man was the opener for a lot of shows, and, and the New York State of Mind was probably one that he was banking on being a thing. Because, I mean, Say Goodbye to Hollywood was in its way a throwback, so you might not want to put your foot forward with that necessarily, especially if you're not quite known yet. I mean, obviously, by Innocent Man, he had no problem with that. But, uh, I mean, Miami 2017 would be the other one to do. Yeah, but maybe yeah. he didn't do that because it had such a long intro yeah yeah that's a good point he wasn't at the point where he started chopping that intro off yet you know yeah yeah but also you know angry young man is a super long intro too yeah but it's a rocking intro that's a good point i love how they they overlaid billy with richie towards the end so like you know as they're going back and forth you can kind of see yeah that was nice i'm gonna make a ridiculous statement here obviously on this version yeah on this um video of it there's some weird like tape sounds in the background like that high-pitched thing it sounds like the beginning close to the edge (laughs) i have to go back and listen to that clearly just this transfer however they did it you know I, I i don't know much about mike douglas but i'm gonna say he was a square and billy's just like <laughs> he's got that like kind of attitude of what he's saying like trying to be hip and billy just like throws that like new york attitude it's not even like a rock star attitude it's just like yeah just gives it to him about new york how how different from how rock concert and midnight special portrayed like what they were trying to be as opposed to this how different you know and you you know and you wonder how much of it was the late night rock shows versus the mike douglas show you know like well, he was show. on forever I mean, he started in like 61 it looks like yeah it ran uh, to 81 yeah so you know I mean that's like you figure that's like an old school kind of thing can't hang like Dick Cavett can't beat like any old episode of Dick Cavett it was off the wall good like so he's so low key but he was so good he had the right guests and had asked the right questions yeah. to get everyone talking mm-hmm. and it was like a lot of times it was super different guests right it was really very conversational yeah and really I mean really good stuff on that show I remember yeah yeah my Mike Douglas, he was a little condescending on this one. So it's funny to see Billy just hit right back on it, you know? Yeah, I like that too. Mm. So as far as we can tell, that's pretty much it before The Stranger. Well, maybe yeah. this is one from Countdown. Is seventy? Is no? Yeah, which is an Australian interview. Yeah. Now this one, he really, man, he looks pissed off. He's wearing a robe. Too. Yeah, this must have been like before this concert. I'm going to say before because I couldn't imagine him doing an interview after the concert. But yeah, he's on, He's clearly on stage. He's wearing a robe and he's just like kind of scowling. Yeah. He's got that real like early Al Pacino voice going. He talks a lot about being pigeonholed by Piano Man, I remember. He talks about his new single, James. You know, as much as he may have been kind of in a mood, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. he did give some interesting insight on his career and, you know, how he's progressed over the years and how he doesn't like to pigeonhole himself in different styles. He said, you know, the commercially smart thing for me to do would have been to do Piano Man 2, but that wouldn't make me happy. I need to grow. I need to change. And he feels like he's done it. He hopes he's done it, but he's not satisfied doing the same thing twice. Funny, he says, uh, you know, people think I'm the sensitive singer-songwriter because of Piano Man. He says, but I'm not. This is just what I do for a living, which is such an interesting way to put it. You know, now that we've read Liberty's book, he talks so much about like girls were enamored with them because they they thought they were all sensitive because because it's just the way you are. I also, I think people might have an opinion of me from Piano Man that I'm this sensitive, suffering, you know, songwriter type, and I'm not. I'm just, you know, this is my gig. This is what I do for a living. 
that's all. Obviously, your music has a, a great versatility to it, so you, you wouldn't like to be typecast as any particular type of writer. No, I don't like to fall into a formula. Uh, I like all kinds of music, anything that's good. Uh, I like to be eclectic. So I, I like the Beatles. Um, I don't want them to get back together. They did plenty enough, you know, fine. They don't have to get back together as far as I'm concerned. But they were eclectic. They did all kinds of music. And uh, like Piano Man, I think, might have typecast me as far as some people were concerned. Oh, Piano Man, well, it's a story song. and So that's the kind of songs the guy does. And in fact, the rest of the album isn't, there isn't another song like that. They're all different. And Street Life, which came after Piano Man, was kind of a rebellion against being typecast. It was a whole change up in form. And likewise, Turnstiles is uh, like the title of the album, Turnstiles. I mean, there's uh, eight different tracks and eight different styles of music because we all like to play different kinds of music. Do you still find that you've had a progression in the style of your music over the last few years, though? I hope so. Yeah. I think, you know, what's, what's the commercially smart thing to do is once you have a hit record is to do another record right after it kind of like the same thing but a little different and I didn't want to do that I mean I I think uh, <clears throat> what some people in the music business might, might, want to, might want me to do is like why don't you put out Piano Man 2 you know and then Piano Man 3 and so forth and so on and I don't want to do that because once you start imitating yourself you're dead you gotta grow and yeah, I, I think I progressed. You know, what's wild to me is we're watching this stuff, especially between Piano Man and An Innocent Man. So 73 to 83, those 10 years, he put out records in such quick succession, mm -hmm. but they were all such distinctly different eras. So, you know, 74 Billy was so different than 76 Billy. Eight mm -hmm. Nylon Curtain Billy, so different than Innocent Man Billy. And it right. was only a year later. I would say the only time he did anything like the previous record was 52nd Street. And in that one, he just expanded. That's the, yeah, that's expanded the closest on the you can get to him yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are the only two that are close. But the quality of this interview is actually quite good. You can hear what almost sounds like the film, but it's a nice, clear picture. The audio sounds really crisp. Uh, it's mm -hmm. actually a, a high quality interview for 76. Yeah. That's why I thought it was a little later. So now there's another one we found, and we can't quite tell if it's uh, 76 or 77 because it's listed twice. But this is the one where he's wearing like a white newsboy cap and he's clearly in an apartment. And my question has always been, how did they get the piano in that apartment? I don't see a picture window anywhere. That looks like a tenement. Right, it does. Yeah, it looks like he's on the second or third floor of a little apartment, you know, with another building immediately on the other side of the street because there's a, a small window next to the piano yeah. and then you're looking right out into another building practically. But based on how he sounds, because he's got that like mousy kind of uh, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino sound to his voice again, I'm going to say this is around the same spot. He certainly doesn't play anything off The Stranger. He plays Billy the Kid for a minute. He talks about the Elton John and Leon Russell comparisons again. Uh, he does a little bit of Benny and the Jets and then I don't know what Leon yep. Russell song he does, but he does that. What I love about this interview, something you don't see anymore, is when they used to ask these people like really interesting questions about music. Uh, there's another one. There's a great one of Ginger Baker from the 60s where they're asking him, like, well, how are you putting these parts together? And he walks you through, like, well, I'm playing this on the ride and I'm playing this other rhythm on the stand. Now let's put them all together. And he plays it, you know. 
And it's almost confrontational. It's definitely like old guard talking to the young kids, but they're actually right. asking them like incisive questions about their music. And that's what this one is too. You know, where he's sitting and he's kind of playing the piano and stuff and going through it. The other song that's very impressive off that Piano Man album is uh, Billy the Kid. It's a nonsense song. It, it's it, in musically, it's like a Western movie soundtrack. Why did he get the opening? Why did? How did you get the opening? You mean the. Uh... It's kind of like, you know, you go into the movies and you see the uh, the credits roll down. Randolph Scott, Lee Van Cleef, Clint Eastwood, you know. And uh, the theme is kind of like, um, one of my favorite pieces is the theme for The Magnificent Seven, which is the... the you know that? Which they've made into a cigarette commercial now. But um, the, the melody was... Could have been a theme to a Western movie soundtrack. So the lyrics to it are all historically inaccurate, but they sound Western. You know, to somebody from New York, Wheeling, West Virginia, sounds like out West, you know, Utah, Oklahoma, Rio Grande. Um, they, they are impressionistic in a way, but they're, they're all wrong. I mean, they're all totally fabricated out of my imagination. It's not the story of Billy the Kid, it's the ballad of uh, Billy the Kid according to the book of Joel. Yeah, and, you know, Billy's look here is, like, super casual. You know, you mentioned the newsboy cap, and he's just wearing a T-shirt. Yeah. Like, just hanging out. You know, it's not like a, you know, he's on a talk show. It's just two guys talking in this apartment, it seems, yeah. you know. This is a really weird one. What could this have possibly have been for that they, they had this just random piece of uh, footage? Yeah, like what was it used for? Because typically a radio interview or a print interview, newspaper interview was not filmed. Exactly. So, you know, typically with those situations, you would either have an audio recording to document it so you could transcribe it later mm -hmm. or just you know, the journalist notes. But the fact that this was filmed, and it's only about three, three and a half, four minutes long. The one thing that I thought was funny about this was, uh, and this is just on a personal note, is that he talks about the Ballad of Billy the Kid, and he talks about like the most of the middle. He's, he talks about how it's based on the Magnificent Seven theme, which is a, a new perspective for me because I, I'll never forget when I was a kid and I heard it on the radio for the first time when we were in the car. And my mom, you know, always wanted to try to expand my horizons in some way. You know, I'm bopping yeah. along to Billy the Kid and she lowers it for a second. She goes, if you like this, you should listen to Aaron Copeland. And so to me, like and like years later, I picked up like uh, it had simple gifts on it and like a couple other things, like some Aaron Copeland orchestra CD. And yeah. I was like, yeah, man, this really does have that Americana feel to it. And it's funny that he goes to Magnificent Seven. But to me, that was that's always like an Aaron Copeland. You know, to me, Magnificent Seven was closer to Mexican Connection. Yeah, the desert really did a number on him. Not did a number, but the desert really had an impact. Stop in Nevada. Yeah. Bella Billy Kid, Mexican Connection. A lot wrapped up in there. So then that brings us to to essentially the breakthrough right now we got uh 1977 we got saturday night live as far as i can tell yeah the stranger has come out what's ironic is stranger comes out it's obviously a hit 
he plays Saturday Night Live. For as as much as he's been tailoring his look, he's got a beard now. And he's got like a kind of a scraggly beard too. Like he's clearly yeah. mid-beard. It's somewhere between whiskers and full-on beard, you know? Instead of like the black that he's worn a lot of, he's got mm-hmm. a brown jacket. Yeah. So the, his clothing is different, everything. Yeah, it seems like he's not trying too hard anymore. Like I said, like that, you go back to like 73 in that black Undertaker jacket, probably a cheap suit. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, I mean- you know, especially with what he he was making back then. You know, but really, once you get to the stranger, he's he he didn't really wear black suits. You know, he wore like he wore the checkered patterns, he wore the lighter colors. You know, they look at a lot of gray suits, hound tooth stuff like that. Yep, and that yeah, looked a lot better. That's going to come out yeah. a lot more then. And then he got into the jeans with the sports jacket and the shirt and tie, which I liked. But yeah, it's funny. Now, wasn't there something? And maybe I'm very wrong. Wasn't there something <laughs> like they they recorded? His Saturday Night Live stuff, like, at a different time or remotely? That was in 1981. Oh, okay. All right. He did Saturday Night Live for Songs in the Attic. Oh, okay. And they did a remote performance of She's Got Away and uh, Miami 2017. Now he's playing it real close to the album. Obviously, he can. He can put as many people on stage as he wants. And you see that because he's got two other guitar players in the back. So he's got two of the guitar players who played on The Stranger with him. And from what I can gather by looking, we've got Hugh McCracken and... Steve Kahn on guitar. And then he had um, a bunch of guys just clapping in the background. <laughs> yeah. And now at the Liberty book out, we know why Russell Javers wasn't on the album, which was a huge revelation and makes it even more notable that all three guitarists are on stage for this. Yeah. I never heard that story until reading that book. That blew my mind. I don't even think we should explain it. I think if you haven't read the book, you better go buy it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a story that you got to hear. Needless yeah. to say, it involved the uh, recording session starting a day late. Yeah. And you'll have to read it to find out why. Yeah. It's a great book, though, all around. Yeah. We're big fans. On the Mike Douglas show, the arrangements and the performance were pretty close to the album. But 1977, The Stranger, big hit. It's almost like no for no to the album, at least um, only the good die young. That said, I love the clapping because it gives it like a rockabilly feel. It almost sounds like the slapback from a, from an upright bass. Yeah, it does have that sound to it, for yeah. sure. On this, what's funny is when Chevy Chase introduces Billy, I think it's before Only the Good Die Young, he talks about how the uh, Hicksville High School mm-hmm. is having their 10-year reunion, right. but one of its alumnus isn't there tonight because he's here. <laughs> I feel like in what's real Chevy Chase fashion, like you can't just introduce him, can you? You gotta have something to say. <laughs> right, exactly. Was this yeah. the, uh, you know, there's the, like there's a story of, and this might have been the episode where uh, him and Bill Murray, like, Pretty much got into a fist fight backstage. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I remember that story. Yeah, because Bill Murray essentially replaced Chevy Chase, and then they got into it. But they were like, it was an actor fist fight. It was a lot of don't touch the face kind right. of stuff. The class of 67 from Hicksville High out on Long Island is having a, their reunion tonight. And one alumnus will not be there because he's here. It's my special guest, ladies and gentlemen, Billy Joel. But, you know, if you notice, it's even to the point where Liberty's playing Brush's 
on this yep. one, which he plays in the studio. But then when we see him on Life from Long Island, he's not playing brushes. Obviously, they're playing such big places by then that he's just like two hands on the snare, two hands on the floor tom, two hands on the snare, two hands on the floor tom. But, you know, here, and I always, I always figured it's because they couldn't mic it well enough. But that must have been a uh, stylistic choice. Yeah, Only the Good Die Young is one song that took a drastic arrangement change between The Stranger and Live from Long Island, which has that other definitive version. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the big saxophone parts really didn't emerge till much later. They're not much on this record. Mm-hmm. There's the keyboard doing it a little bit, but the big tenor sax stuff really isn't on here. Yeah. And the Liberty completely changed his drum part around. And yeah, big, big change. So on this one, though, you know, I did say that it's pretty close to the album, but the organ is also really prominent. With the, or- the organ is, is prominent in the studio version, but it's it's prominent, but it's also mixed down just a little. Yeah. Like, it's very full and it's there, but it's not up front. On this mix, which could just be because it's on TV, it's definitely up further. So there's a lot of Richie. You see Richie with like one hand on the sax, one hand on the organ here and there as he's switching off, which is pretty cool to watch. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this episode, Chevy Chase was the host. Mm-hmm. So he had come back to host after leaving the, the cast. Yeah. And this actually aired February 18th, 1978. And again, hard to believe. So he's, he's heavily promoting The Stranger. Yeah. And within a couple months, 52nd Street comes out. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it, it, you forget how quickly he, he ran back in the studio and, and did it up. You know what else is funny about that? You know, that was his problem with Street Life. Oh, they, they rushed him back into the studio. They rushed him back into the studio. And he didn't have enough material. This time he had like a Grammy Award winning album flowing out of his fingertips there. Um, 76, 77, 78. So, I mean, Turnstiles, Stranger, 52nd Street were all yeah. less than a year apart. What stood out to me, too, about the band, I don't even remember what most of them were wearing, except for, I want to say it's Steve Kahn, is wearing an Orioles jersey. Right, well, him, Steve Kahn and Hugh McCracken are both wearing red shirts. But yeah, it's an, yeah. he's got the Orioles jersey. No, Richie Cannata had that, like, amazing flannel and, and brown leather vest combo that he wore in a couple things. Oh, that's right. That yep, looked like yep. it must have been sweltering, but damn, did it look cool. Billy's got, like, the Argyle tie going on. Yeah. Liberty's playing Thomas by this point. Yeah, he doesn't have the same yeah. kit as he's had in uh, a couple of the other clips. Yeah, I know for the Turnstiles era, he was playing. Those weren't Thomas. He hadn't switched to Tama yet. I think it had happened right around when The Stranger happened. Gosh, I forget what drums he used then. But uh, yeah, he's he's using Tama here. And he's got the, you know, the, all the rack toms and, you know, no bottom heads. That was a popular drum setup with having, you know, no bottom heads. For, yeah, that was you know, a big during 70s. The 70s. Yeah, it gave it that like real distinct dry sound. You could almost, and you know why too? Because they had so many toms, it gave a more distinct note, almost a note to yeah. it. So when you know when yeah. you call Palmer or something, you've got twenty thousand toms. You need each one to, to be very distinct. And Doug's playing Blondie. Well, he played Blondie on um, Midnight Special. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You're like, right. And I, I think it's great, you know, knowing everything we know now that pretty much his probably his television debut just starts with, like this beautiful close-up of Blondie, like his, you know, playing it. He's just really getting into it a lot of times doug lays back and just sits in the pocket but he's kind of animated in some spots here yeah he's really bopping along on this one you wonder if it's because it's saturday night live and, and he's either excited or it's like well it's saturday night live you gotta you gotta do it up a little you That's know it possible. keeps you know it keeps throwing me off uh the 
daily motion video that you sent. It's mirror image. Oh, I know. I think <laughs> they did it so it didn't get blocked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, why is, why is Liberty playing a left-handed uh, kit? Yeah, it threw me the first time I saw it too. Yeah. Yeah, this was the first of four times that Billy ended up playing Saturday Night Live. Because So he did 1978. He did 1981 doing a remote for Songs mm-hmm. in the Attic, doing She's Got Away and Miami 2017. And then he did it again in 1989 doing uh, We Didn't Start the Friar and Down Easter Alexa. Mm-hmm. And then in 93, he did River of, River of Dreams and All About Soul. We're going to get into those along with many other appearances post-Stranger into the 80s and 90s in a future episode. But for right now, I think it's exciting to watch him start with a weird mustache in 1973. And uh, hit the big time with a scraggly beard in 1978. Yeah. I think that's a good spot. If we've missed any, please let us know. We, I want to say we research like conspiracy theorists. We just watch a bunch of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. Which is, well, that's, yeah, right. that's pretty accurate. Research this. But, I saw uh, it on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we research what we can, but, you know, there's always something hanging around that we may have missed. And if there is, uh, let us know. Yeah. I mean, every year that goes by, I'm finding something brand new. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been diving deep into Billy's work for my whole life, practically. And stuff's always turning up. So if you guys are hip to anything that we missed in the 70s, yeah, you know, let us know. You can... So you can email us at glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. And Jack and I are all over the socials, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and connect with us there. And we really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating or a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get in front of more people. And the more people we can get in front of, the bigger we can grow this great community that we're so grateful to have you guys a part of. So if you could do that for us, that would be amazing. We'd appreciate it. So we'll see you next time on Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. Glasshouses.